You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Well, welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin. And today, I'm excited to share with you the first chapter of my new book entitled The Ruin of Souls. Now, a few things that I want to just tell you about this chapter before getting into it, and actually maybe tell you a little bit more about the story before getting into it. Um, I started writing this book a while ago, and it it actually was going in a much different direction than than it actually wound up going in, which oftentimes happens. You know, I, I usually start off a writing project with an outline, and then as, you know, as as we go along, as I go along and and I discover really who these characters are, who I'm writing about, and I kind of reimagine them along the way. Uh, sometimes ideas come to me and, and things change. And, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing because you never want, you know, you never want an outline to be handcuffs. You know, that's something um, a, a an author and an editor uh, and publisher, Lou Aronica, told me. I had him on this podcast a couple of years ago. Anyway, th- this um, this story is actually partly, partly inspired by my days as an undergraduate student at the University of Connecticut. And I started thinking about my days at at UConn because two of my kids go there now. And I actually, you know, over the past year or so, got to spend a, a lot of time on campus. And, uh, you know, all these memories started flooding back to me. You know, there was there was the memory of my freshman year going to uh, James Mapes. I don't know if, if you guys were with me at UConn. I'm sure some of you listening were there. Uh, at least I hope hope so. Hope some of my old friends listen. Um, James Mapes was this hypnotist and motivational speaker that would come to campus. And, and my freshman year, I mean, we're talking days into my freshman year, I was uh, I was one of the uh, people who got, uh, you know, hypnotized, ran up on stage to get my hands unlocked or, or something like that and wound up being part of the show. So I, I actually was thinking about that. And gosh, wouldn't, wouldn't it be fun to to put an element of that in in this story. And then I started thinking about this professor I had. His name was Sam Wittreal. He was introduced to me by a, my, my friend, good friend at the time, Eva Matthews. We were both fellow psych students. And Eva said, hey, Mike, take his class in psychological tests and measurements. You're going to love it. And he's just the nicest man. And I, I did take the class. And Sam was a professor emeritus. He was this older guy. And, um, you know, kind of, kind of frail, but, uh, he was probably, God, he had to be in his late seventies. Um, maybe early seventies. I don't know. Uh, this was, this is going back almost 30 years, people. So, um, I, I took his class and I would meet him every day before class in his office in, in the psych building. And then I'd walk with him to the building where our class was in. It wasn't that far from the psych building, but you know, he was older, so I would carry this canvas bag he had, you know, full of his books. And on the way, he'd smoke his pipe 
and he would he would give me knowledge. He would share a story with me. And and um, and by the way, this was before Tuesdays with Maury was written. OK, so I'm not uh, I'm not borrowing from uh, from that story. Um, but Sam and I, we developed this friendship and, and we kept in touch after I graduated. He died five or six years ago. Um, but, but you know, him, he, his memory always stayed with me and I wanted to honor that. So I, I built him as a character in, in this story and, and you're going to, you know, hear about him in, in chapter one, I'm going to play for you uh, the audio version of, uh, of chapter one. Now, listen, I'm going to tell you right now, I am not a professional voiceover artist. I know that's probably hard to believe. And I'm pretty good with editing audio, but but I'm no engineer. You know, the other audio books I've done, I've had professionals do. And I wouldn't even call this an audio book. This is just a sample. This is chapter one. I'm going to play for you chapter one. It's me reading it. You know, I'm sure if if you're listening, you're going to be like, oh, God, he mumbled that part. Or, you know, can, can you take the clicks out? I try, I try, but I'm not a professional here. Um, I will tell you this though, if you like what you hear, if you like what you hear, let me know. And then maybe I'll do chapter two and three, you know, I'll let you hear chapter two and three. If you're interested, if you're interested, I hope you are. I hope you are. Now, I don't know when this book is actually going to come out. I haven't figured the timing out for it. I still have a few agents who are looking it over and looking over my query but, you know, I got to tell you, it's it's just the process is is not fun. It's not fun. There's nothing fun about it. There's nothing fun about querying agents and getting rejected. Um, but uh, but we'll see. I mean, I, the, the other books were were independently published. This might be as well. Um, and uh, we'll see. I don't know. You tell me what you think. Tell me what you think about this chapter. OK. And uh, tell me if you want to keep reading. If you if you'd want to hear more, I'll I'll I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll do at least two more chapters. But you got to tell me. You know, I, I I have a I have a constant uh, <laughs> I have a constant need for validation here. Um, so just let me know if you like it. I'll do it. Um, but here it is. I'm not going to babble anymore. I actually, actually I'll say one more thing. One more thing. Uh, like Columbo. Um, last week I played a, a two part interview, right? Part one, part two with my brother, Jimmy about his book and his story. Um, and I just want to say thank you because the, the support that we got for it from phone calls to text messages to, to posts on social media, it, it, I mean, it really was a, uh, a very heartwarming thing. So you, you, you all have done so great. I mean, I, I asked, uh, I asked on the podcast uh, a month or so ago to help support a fundraiser that we did for my friend Chris, which is still going strong. We're just shy of our goal, um, but you help support that. So thank you. Um, and and the, the emotional support and the kind words you shared about my interview with Jim. Um, really, I, I can't I can't thank you enough for that. Um, I really can't. It means a lot. You know, it's it, it was a, a tough story to share. Um, and, uh, tough one to read, but very important as well. All right. So I wanted to thank you for that. Now, listen, here's chapter one of the ruin of souls. Uh, again, tell me what you think. Okay. Michael.carlin at uncorkingastory.com, or just go to the website. There's a little form on there. You can send me an email, but I really want to hear what you have to say. Thank you very much. And we'll be back later this week with another episode, perhaps another chapter. Chapter one. A coded message. 
I walked briskly across the University of Connecticut campus towards the psychology building, and the early April sky looked as if it was going to open up at any minute. Screw the Mayflowers, I thought to myself. The last thing I wanted to do was start off the most important presentation of my life, self-conscious over being soaking wet. I made a note to myself to buy a damn raincoat, even if it would make me look like Columbo. I stopped for a moment in front of St. Thomas Aquinas Church on campus. While I was once a man of strong faith, a series of events eroded my belief in a loving God, including the death of my son and the clergy's sexual abuse scandal. That an all-powerful being could let such tragedy befall his children was a laughable notion. Still, there was something about that building that seemed to call to me every time I passed by, and I often found myself stopping in front of it and staring at it. The clouds seemed to be getting darker, so I ended that brief meditation and continued towards my ultimate destination. As I walked in front of the university's auditorium, I had to evade some protesters who used signs and bullhorns to proclaim their utter outrage that Marie Charcot was coming to campus that night to perform her show, Opening the Mind's Eye. Charcot, who adopted the stage name Madame Charcot, even though she wasn't French, was part stage hypnotist and part motivational speaker. She was bringing her stage show to the University of Connecticut tonight, and historically, that show had been a hit with college-age students as they got to see their fellow classmates perform outrageous acts at her suggestion. Recently, through her motivational speaking business, she developed professional ties to the current Republican president of the United States, a fact that had outraged far-left campus groups. Although she identified as female, some of their signs compared her to Adolf Hitler, and it was clear from their chance that they wouldn't leave until the administration canceled the event. So much for free speech on college campuses. I once had the naive notion that part of higher education involved having meaningful dialogue with people who share opinions different than yours. But that was squashed when I entered the doctoral program five years ago. If there's one thing I learned in academia, it's that it's more acceptable to be a communist than a Republican, forcing any non-left-leaning students and faculty into the closet for fear of reprisals. I got through the protests unscathed and made it to the psych building just before the thunder rolled and the rain started to fall. The building itself is one big maze, and most psych students joke that all who enter are part of a learning experiment to see how quickly they can find their way around, like a mouse hunting for a piece of cheese in a maze. After a series of left and right turns, I made my way to my dissertation advisor's office, which was immediately to the right of the department chairs. The symbolism was clear. Although retired, Sam Shoa was the right-hand man to whoever was in charge of his former department. Evie Roeder might technically run the department, but nothing of any consequence happened without Sam's blessing. Shoah is the Hebrew term for Holocaust, and it wasn't the last name he was born with. Sam changed his name after his own personal promise to never forget the horrors that he and millions of others experienced during World War II. It was his outward sign of an inner promise, if you will. As a young boy, he was sent to Auschwitz, along with his twin brother Saul, and the fact that he was a twin undoubtedly saved his life, as it qualified the boys for participation in some of the barbaric twin studies overseen by the wicked Joseph Mengele. Most kids were killed upon arrival, as their captors reasoned they had little to offer the war effort, but twins weren't killed immediately, as they were considered valuable research subjects. Fortunately for Sam, he wasn't chosen to be the test subject in the experiments they were forced to participate in. The Nazis would poke, prod, and poison Saul while doing nothing to him, who played the role of control subject. 
While he wasn't hurt physically, the mental anguish he suffered by seeing his brother experimented upon was just as bad. As a rule, if one twin died as a result of an experiment, the other was immediately killed and the two bodies were then examined to measure the impact of the experimentation. Sam was convinced that Saul's ability to hold on was rooted in the fact that he had to in order for his brother to live. The notion that having a purpose can fuel a will to survive greatly impacted Sam's approach to psychotherapy, as it did another Holocaust survivor, famed neurologist and psychiatrist Victor Frankl. While Saul was strong, he wasn't immortal. Sam's twin eventually died in January of 1945, the day before the Soviet army liberated Auschwitz. By then, the boy's tormentors had fled and Sam was safe, as safe as he could be in hell. When I walked into Sam's office, he was cleaning out the bowl of his pipe and dumping the spent tobacco into the wastebasket. Not a word from you on this, he said as I walked in. I'm 82. It's the only vice I have left. It struck me how much he aged in the past five years. When I met him, he was just shorter than my 5 foot 11 inch frame, but now he barely came up to my shoulders. He had more age spots now than he did back then. While he was a believer in the benefits of being out in the sun, he wasn't a big believer in sunscreen. The one thing that hadn't changed, though, was his comb over. He was clearly bald, but pushed over the long strands of hair on the side of his head to give the appearance that he had some left on top. In this way, he reminded me of Don Rickles, who I believe Sam was funnier. I'm too nervous to give you hell about that, Sam. Good. Nerves are good. They are a reminder that you are still alive. He then walked over to me and put both of his hands on my shoulders and looked me directly in the eyes. You will do fine, blue eyes. Sam was fascinated that I had dark hair but blue eyes, and often joked that, had I been blonde, he would have never taken me on as a student, as I'd have reminded him too much of his captors. Your written dissertation is the best to come through any of our desks in a quarter of a century. Today is just a formality. At 46, I'd be the oldest person to graduate from the University of Connecticut's doctoral program in clinical psychology. I entered the program five years ago primarily because Sam had championed my application. Very few universities would take on a 41-year-old doctoral candidate, but something in my application story stood out to Sam, and considering his input was given a disproportionate amount of weight, I was offered one of the six spots they would fill that year. I had a career in big tech before entering the grad program and gave my fair share of presentations. But this was one of the most meaningful I'd ever give, and I didn't want to screw it up. I just want to do well, I said. He then squinted and smiled. Is that gray hair I see around your temples? I guess after today, we can call you Dr. Salt and Pepper. It felt as if the gray had appeared overnight, an outward testament to the stress building up in my body. I appreciate your saying that, I replied. About your hair? No problem. No, about my work. Regarding the hair, I'm just stressed out about defending the dissertation. Michael, it's already slated for publication in a peer-reviewed journal. Just watch the politics in the room and you'll sail on through. I thought the tech sector was as political as they come, and then I entered academia. Tech's got nothing on universities when it comes to backstabbing, strategic rumors, and infighting. I looked over at the whiteboard on Sam's wall and saw a series of shapes, some with dots and some without. Sam caught me staring at it. Are you a Kappa Sigma, I asked. Why do you ask? My college fraternity used a cipher like this so that brothers could send coded message to each other. 
I almost laughed as I said it, thinking how silly it sounded. I went to school in the early 1990s, not the 1790s. No, I didn't have time for such things when I was in school. That's right. To hear Sam talk about his college days in the mid-50s, you'd have thought his alma mater, Syracuse, where he earned his undergraduate, master's, and doctoral degrees, was about as fun as summer school. He'd always mutter something about the Cold War whenever I pushed further, but I knew not to push today, because doing so would inevitably lead to a lecture, and I didn't have time for that. This pigpen cipher was used by both the Freemasons and Knights Templar to send coded messages to their members. Actually, it's believed to have been created by a Jewish rabbi, just another of our forgotten claims to fame. Hey, you still have pastrami on rye, I said. Sam smiled. They can't take that away from us. Want to take a guess at what this says? As a software developer fluent in multiple computer languages, I was always up for a challenge to unscramble a code. I picked up a dry erase marker and drew a 3x3 table with an X next to it. I then put two letters of the alphabet in each square on the table and in each of the four angles in the X. While I was the grandmaster of ceremonies for my fraternity and had to commit this silliness to memory and present it to new members, I was amazed at how quickly creating the cipher key came back to me. Now that I had the cipher key, I then looked at each of the shapes Sam had on the board and wrote the corresponding letter from the key underneath. If any shape had a dot in it, I knew to use the second letter in the square or angle. The message spelled out, good luck, Michael. Nice job, but that was a softball because the cipher key was in alphabetical order. Try this one. I watched as Sam wrote down another coded message from memory on his whiteboard. Try to use the cipher key you created before. He then erased each of the letters in the table and the X that I created and put the letters SY and MB and OL across the top row of the table. This is a substitution cipher. Knowing the word symbol is key to solving the code. So in the cell under SY, you would put in the next letters in the alphabet following each of those, which are T and Z. In the cell under BO, you would write CP, etc. Sam then completed the cipher key. Now to code the message, he said. I did, and it read, defend us in battle. I recognize it as a line from the prayer to St. Michael, one I was familiar with from my Catholic school days. Patron saint of the military, I observed. The enemy of Satan and all the fallen angels. He ejected Satan from paradise, so the story goes. I'm guessing the devil didn't take that lightly. My mother named me Michael after him, so the story goes. My, my, you have a lot to live up to with your name, Sam quipped. For a Jew, you know a lot about Christian saints. At one point, your people persecuted mine. We Jews thought it wise to know our enemy. I wanted to ask Sam why he had a pig pen cipher on his whiteboard in the first place, but looked at my watch and saw that I had only 15 minutes to go before my presentation was supposed to begin. I wanted to make sure I had no issues connecting my laptop to the projector. If there's one thing I learned in working half my adult life in the tech space, it's that if something is going to go wrong in a presentation, it's going to have to do with the audio video system. I'm going to head down to the conference room and set up. You want to join me, or are you going to take a few hits off of that cancer delivery vehicle? You couldn't help yourself, could you? Nope. I put my bag over my shoulders, and Sam picked up a heavy canvas bag full of books off his floor and handed it to me. You mind carrying these for me? 
When I took Sam's class on psychological tests and measurements, I always met him in his office beforehand and offered to take his bag for him so that he can enjoy his pipe on the walk between the psych building and the building our class was in. It struck me that, given my coursework was all done and all I had left to do was defend my dissertation, this might be one of the last times I got to carry his bag. Of course not. I'm going to miss this, you know. I am too, Michael, Sam said. He locked the door behind him, and after we stepped into the hallway, I'm certain he whispered it again. I am too. Well, that's chapter one. I uh, hope you liked it. I hope you liked it. I liked writing it, kind of. I mean, a lot of work. Rewrote that thing like a hundred times. But um, look, if you did like it, I'd like to know. So send me an email, michael.carlin, that's C-A-R-L-O-N, at uncorkingastory.com, or just go to the Uncorking a Story website, click on contact in the upper right-hand corner, and there's a form to send me an email. So I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, um, you know, you never know. There, there may be another chapter coming your way in the next couple of days. Thanks for listening.